welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your the Cubs are coming home after a four-game set at Coors, and maybe a few of them will stay hot here at Wrigley, despite the fact that it is like 35 degrees home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts for searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and more at Bleed Cubby Blue, and I am joined by Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? Well, I'm trying to stay warm. Uh, my landlord turned the heat off, and then we had to tell her to turn it back on. So, uh, you know, it's un. Well, I, I don't, don't want to say unseasonably cold in Chicago, but it it's in the 30s and low 40s, and it's just pretty miserable. And I think we're all waiting for spring, which it looks like this weekend we're finally going to get. But these poor Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> coming out of Florida, just freezing their buns off here in Chicago. I don't know. I've never really felt sorry for the Tampa Bay Rays, although I do feel a little bit sorry for myself tonight because tonight was supposed to be the first game that I'm supposed to have to be able to go to. It's Monday and the Cubs are supposed to play Tampa Bay. Kyle Hendricks and Shane McClanahan are supposed to face off. And it the the forecast uh, the last time I looked at it at six o'clock tonight said it was supposed to snow <laughs> with little accumulation and like 36 degree weather. And I just I, I have a hunch that my first Cubs game of the year is going to be canceled, but who knows? Who knows? We're going to find out. Yeah. Well, I mean, then you might have a nice ticket for an August Monday off day game when the Rays just happen to be in the neighborhood and, uh, and then uh, you'll enjoy yourself that day. So you'll just have something to look forward to. And actually I kind of do hope the game gets banged tonight. Cause uh it's just gonna be i have a ticket to it too and wow it's just it's cold i mean i actually don't know what they're gonna do with this schedule because the tampa bay rays are actually already in town they were just playing the white Sox, which creates this weird situation where the cubs had a travel day to a home game but the visiting team didn't have a traveling day to the game. Like it's, it's not really like a racing home field advantage there, but it kind of does in like this very strange way. But beyond that, Tampa Bay doesn't come back to Chicago this season. They don't come back to play the White Sox at any point in time. I mean, I suppose it's possible that the league could be like, Oh, they are scheduled to play St. Louis at some date in July, or they're scheduled to go to Ohio or something. And therefore they can make a side trip to Chicago. But I have a hunch that if tonight's game does get canceled, and, and I'm kind of with you, I just can't see them really playing it, um, that it's going to turn into a double header while it's still 40 and awful here this week, right. which I'm not <laughs> sure that's the right answer either. This really has kind of created a bit of a scheduling uh, kerfuffle as far as I can tell. But before we get to the Tampa Bay scheduling issues, there's lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, the Cubs split a two-game series with the Colorado Rockies. And look, that ballpark is ridiculous. I think any time that you can get in and out of course Field with a split, you should take it and just be happy about it. But there were a ton of interesting things there. Lots and lots of Cubs toot lands. And Danny, we're going to have to talk about the running on this team in this young season as just like a meta issue because I, I can't take it. I feel like the game hasn't officially started until somebody gets thrown out on the base paths. And it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the, that is frustrating. And also, some of the base running, I, I want to add to it, Rafael Ortega diving into first base every five seconds, too, is on his way down where <laughs> you could run through the base. That's part of, even though he maybe is out either way, 
it just simply isn't the fastest way down to first base. It's kind of been proven by everybody except for like in very rare instances where it would avoid injury or you do it perfectly right. I mean, they studied it and you just can't do it. Like (laughs) clean that up. I'd hate it. But yeah, um, this is what I mean. Bad teams. I identified years ago on the Sudden Ranto show that bad teams have to try to steal bases to score runs. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, depending on your speed and how good of a runner you have, obviously. But uh, that's what I think we're seeing here. Um, there's, well, there's the one toot bland you had with Suzuki, which I think shocked a lot of us when he got doubled off of first base because you're like, what are you doing, dude? Like, I thought you were awesome, and now you're not. Then the <laughs> other, then the other stuff with with, uh, with getting thrown out, stealing, like we lead the league in getting caught stealing, and it's like, well, how long are we going to continue to do this? And I hate it, hate it, hate it. When then the next guy comes up and gets a hit and you're like, okay, would have been first and third, nobody out. But instead, you know, we're sitting here with one out and just a man on first. So it's like that stuff drives me nuts. You can't do it. But I do like stolen bases and I do like the concept of there being more running in the game. Uh, thinking of like the 80s Cardinals who had all those dudes, Vince Coleman and like Lonnie Smith, you know, and how much fun, not that I've enjoyed watching the Cardinals, but I mean, that kind of team was exciting to watch because there was Ricky Henderson's like, there's no Ricky Henderson in this game right now, except for maybe Trey Turner or something like that, you know? Okay, Trey Trey Turner is definitely not Ricky Henderson, but I hear you in terms of the running. I definitely agree with you on that. I sort of feel I I hear you that like the Cubs are trying to manufacture some offense in places where it's difficult for them to get that offense and also like Nico trying to stretch a double into a triple is just absurd I'm just like yeah. what are you doing like you, I understand that it allowed run uh, the run to score and whatever but I think that run would have scored with Nico on second we could have seen what the next guy up might have done the Cubs hit an absurd number of doubles in this series and it was fun and interesting or you've got Jonathan VR like I, I, was he just napping at first base he was like kind of caught moving the wrong way on Sunday and it was like whoops just kidding thrown out at first I was like look Jonathan VR like I understand that back in the day you were 40 steals type of guy and yet you are currently like on the wrong side of 30 and I'm just not entirely sure that's still the game just be happy that you had like a four for five day and like a really good week in course and and take it and don't get thrown off at first yeah well the two plans it's one thing to be aggressive it's another thing to toot plan uh I mean yeah Nico Nico maybe makes third if that throw goes through and I think then two things happen the run scores because it wasn't a great throw and also Nico's on third base so that one didn't bother me as much. The stuff that bothers me is like the Suzuki getting caught off first or like the the VR play that you mentioned. It's just like, because that stuff you can clean up. Like Nico was being aggressive. It wasn't smart, but it was at least aggressive. Uh, whereas with the other situation, it's just like that can be cleaned up just by paying attention. Yeah, I think one of the things that maybe we did not truly appreciate enough about the last few years of Cubs baseball is just how good at the fundamentals, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, that whole crew of people are at all parts of the game, right? Like you you see it defensively on some of these balls that like, look, and Schwindel's a fine first baseman, but he's not a gold glove first baseman like Anthony Rizzo over there. Like every now and again, you see him kind of mystified by something that you know Rizzo would not be fooled by 
at all. Like Nico Horner has made some really nice plays, but he just doesn't have quite the same like intuitive break that Javier Baez does on a lot of those balls to just like know how to tune them in. And I think the same thing is true on the base pass. Like it's not just defense, like on the base pass, those guys hadn't had an instinct about exactly where they could be and why. Like we talked about Chris Bryan on the show a lot as a plus base runner. And and it wasn't because Chris Bryan is the fastest dude in the league. It's because Chris Bryan has great situational awareness of the game of baseball. And he knows when he can go the extra base and when he can take third and when he can come home, like he has an understanding of when he's going to be able to complete that play. And I think what we're seeing here, admittedly, hopefully in like a, in a concentrated way that will diminish over time. Cause really it feels like there is a two plan a day with this team, which is kind of nuts. Uh, but I think what we're seeing here is some guys who maybe just don't have quite as high of baseball IQ on the base pass at the moment. And also not as much experience playing together. And so they're kind of trying to feel some stuff out, but yeah. I don't know. I'd like to see the out stop. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. And um, and, and you bring up Chris Bryant, who we just watched again uh, in a purple uniform, which did bring out his eyes a little bit nicer. I thought <laughs> you were right about that. Um, the uh, And we saw him and his base running kind of beat us a couple times. Uh, you, there was that when Stroman was pitching. Totally. He, he beat out that ball from Madrigal. And I'm sorry, but like Madrigal's got a, that that's like a he's throwing rainbows over over that second base. I mean, that arm. I was just like, is, is he okay? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it was like we used to call that. It was mean to do, but back in little league, you know, if a kid threw like that, we called him a lollipop. Aww, lollipop arm. Which I don't know. Like our lollipops slow. Like I don't know. It's why we did it, but that's what. Hey, lollipop. You know, and that's kind of that's the first word that came to my head. I was like, look at Magical's lollipop arm. I don't know if he just didn't have his footing or something, but also balls getting through that maybe didn't yeah. need to get through when you had Javi at short. Yeah, you're seeing some of that, and we're still waiting for Simmons to come back. I guess he's on this team somehow, eventually, but um. But yeah, it's like it, there's certain things that like those tiny little things that can extend an inning, inning or if you don't get an out where you could have had an out. Now, all of a sudden you got your pitcher working and then you saw things kind of fall apart for Stroman. I know we're not like on game two yet, but you want to just start with game one? I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I was actually about to, I was going to segue to game one as, right as soon as you wrapped yeah. up there. So let's just talk about a couple of highlights from this game. The Cubs won this game. Justin Steele looks great. Um, you know, I he actually went for some pretty nice fab dollars in a couple of my fantasy leagues. And I know nobody cares about your fantasy team, but I say that to say that that means that there are people who are not just Cubs fans keeping an eye on Justin Steele and liking what they see. I liked what I saw a lot. Michael Givens got the save in this game, which I thought was interesting because theoretically David Robertson should have been available. I don't know if this was just Ross saying that, you know, Givens has experience at cores and I want to see what he does. Um, it worked just fine, but I, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Um, the, you know, say Suzuki, what can I say? He's, he's hot. We will talk more about say in a little bit. And Frank Schwindel had, went long in this game, which was nice to see. In fact, a lot of Cubs who had kind of been struggling in the early going Frank Schwindel, Patrick wisdom really picked it up and had a nice four game set in Colorado, which is exactly what you want to see from your hitters. Yeah. No, well, and it was Colorado. They were probably excited to get there. And, 
Yeah, you know, a lot of guys with two hits. I mean, Cubs had three 13 hit games in this whole series, and uh, this was not even one of them. <laughs> this was the this was right. the, the ten hitter. So uh, the ten hitter. That yeah, it was a he, he pitched a, a measly ten, ten hit game. A, me, a measly ten. Well, I mean, you remember back in the in the day, like you you would maybe win games with six hits because three of them were home runs because everybody's coming out of their shoes, but. Um, this didn't. Oh, they had Frank the Tank hit his tank in this in that first game. Uh, yeah, it was nice to see some guys kind of just like step it up a little bit. And you know, you can't all just be on Seiya Suzuki, who's still continued to be good, but except for when he got picked off in this game. But um, <laughs> I, sorry, I won't bring it up again. I love Seiya Suzuki. I won't uh, criticize him for the one mistake he's made this entire time. But um, no, and you and you get off to a great start in the first inning too. So I think that's important, especially at Coors Field. It's tough, even though you can score a lot of runs quickly there. It's you want the other team with the pressure of playing from behind. Yeah, and the Cubs have been good about putting pressure on the other team to play from behind lately. They score a lot early. Uh, they take the lead early, which is not something we've seen from the Chicago Cubs for the last few seasons. And I know that that's situational. It's not predictive or anything. But I think that it is interesting to see this team play just some fundamentally different baseball. Um, in the second game, Stroman finally got coursed. Honestly, I thought he might get out of it that fourth inning. It looked he was he was battling. It looked like he was going to maybe come out on the right side of it. He did not get help from the defense behind him, and it turned into a five run fourth inning that Stroh was on the hook for all of took the loss. Um, I did like that the Cubs tried to fight back here, even though it fell short, like they didn't give up by any stretch of the imagination. That was good. I will also say the thing that I was most interested in, in this game, once the Cubs kind of fell behind, say Suzuki still, still has a hitting streak. Uh, I had, he, he already sent me look into the record books to see what constitutes a consecutive game hitting streak because, uh, People who watch the game closely will note that Saya came in to pinch hit in game two, and he took two balls, then took an intentional walk, which does not break your hitting streak as long as it's the only played appearance of the game. So Saya's hitting streak still going strong. Danny, what okay. did you see in the second game? Yeah, I mean, Stroman, I just saw him lose it in the fourth inning. It started with that Chris Bryant single that I was talking about before. And uh, it wasn't, it, it maybe could have been an out, but it kind of, they lollygagged on it. And um, then, um, you know, then the inning kind of fell apart on him. And that he looked really so uncomfortable, you know, and well, well, I was watching it and I was like, man, it's like, it's like on a video game, like the old eighties video game when your pitcher would start to get tired right? and his <laughs> shoulders would slump and he'd be like breathing heavy. And you're like, Oh, I better take, get, get somebody up in the pen. Otherwise I'm having a, a big inning uh, against me right now. But you know, that was um, weird to see. And he couldn't get, he couldn't write the ship. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The bats were there. They pound out 13 hits. Willie really comes alive, but he's getting his hits in all the wrong order. And I know that's the most meatball thing you could possibly say in the world because the dude's getting his hits, you know. But honestly, I, I could really use um, a, a single with the bases loaded. And I know he got hosed. Was that on Friday that he got hosed on the one call, or was that Thursday? I think kind of mixing it all. Oh, Thursday was the first game. Friday is game I think two. it was Friday. It was the and it was actually look. I don't want Wilson Contreras swinging at any of those pitches either. It was three balls at the top of the zone, two of which were very questionable as strikes. All three called strikes. Like. 
those are unhittable pitches. That's not a good place for Wilson to swing the bat. And frankly, like the best pitch he got was the first one. And he, I think he would have missed it. So it's like, if all three of those are strikes, what is he supposed to do? Yeah. And it, it was frustrating robot ups now, but one of them was a, once it had already been called up there, you got to try to do something like, that's all I'm saying. And like, it, he almost let being right. The enemy of, I don't know what the phrase is. Is there a phrase <laughs> like the enemy of perfect of the good or whatever that phrase is? Don't there is, them. but I can't remember yeah. that phrase to save my life right now. Cause now I've got whatever you called it in my head and <laughs> I know. don't let the enemy of the perfect be the good. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Or the um, perfect be the enemy of the good or something. See, I can't even do it. Anyway, Danny, let's just move <laughs> on from this phrase. We have totally <clears throat> butchered it. But everybody knows what I mean is that he was, he was, oh, oh, you're right, Wilson. And now you're sitting on the bench. So I don't know what to tell you. Now you, how many were left on base? Uh, what was your LOB on that one? You know, it wasn't good. I mean, you got your three hits, one ribby and three left on base. So, you know, and you lose by one. So something goes different in that at bat. And maybe you take three or four here in Colorado, but shoulda, woulda, coulda. Um, it's, it. I love Wilson Contreras, but you could tell he was frustrated. And I could tell once he got the two strikes on him that he was just going to strike out and be mad about it. And that's not cool to see. That's fair. I will say in Wilson Contreras' defense, he had a real nice series at Coors minus that at that. Uh, Definitely coming into his own as a player this season. He is currently slashing 286, 375, 607. His Woba is 429, which is absurd. The only Woba on the team's. That is better right now that who has at least 25 plate appearances is say a Suzuki. So you will take that every single day from your catcher. Um, but I agree with you. Wilson looked frustrated in that particular bat. And I will say it is a known problem for Wilson Contreras and that whole core of 2016 Cubs. They all had problems with that high fastball at the top of the zone. It's also where you see Ian Happ really struggle. Like when Ian Happ is, is having a hard time getting balls in play, it's usually because they're just drilling him at the top of the zone there and he's not doing anything with it. The only player in that group who really has managed, well, two of them actually, who managed to overcome that. Javier Baez, if he is watching that spot, can launch and did so earlier this week for the Tigers. And Kyle Schwarber in the swing plane uh, work that he did with Kevin Long that sort of tweaked his swing a little bit, managed to cover that hole, but all of them had that issue. And Wilson Contreras, it looks like continues to. So that's a bummer. Yeah. Well, it's what a lot of pitchers are doing now to counteract the whole uppercut movement, you know, yes. and everybody's swinging up and selling out. So pitchers are like, well, I'm just going to pound the top of this zone where you can't do that. Cause you can't swing up that way. You got to hit the line drives. And if you're strong enough, like a hobby bias, it'll go a long way. But um, yeah, you're, you're right. That those other guys haven't, really made that adjustment. I wonder if that's some of Patrick Wisdom's world too. It might be. I haven't looked at Patrick Wisdom as closely, but it wouldn't shock me at all. Um, Mark Leiter got lit up in his start for the Cubs here. I mean, I, whatever. I understand what David Ross was doing here. Don't burn a guy that you are trying, you know, that you're actually going to use in the rotation at Coors Field, but also like the Cubs just really didn't look like they had a shot at all in this third game, although they didn't give up, which was great. Jonathan VR went four for five in this game, looked really good the entire series at Coors. I know he has a history of being good at Coors. I know he had a history of being good against some of these particular pitchers, but Danny, I can't be the only one that might want to see a little bit more of Jonathan VR, given what he showed in Colorado over the last few games. And if 
VR does get that playing time, where does it come from? Because Patrick Wisdom also looked like he was heating up. Do you take some starts from Nick or Nico? Like, who do? You, how does Jonathan VR get some playing time here? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it would be is a Nick Nico situation. You do have the DH. I'm not sure. I mean, Ortega's taking his walks, but he's not hitting. You know, so you you I don't know why Ortega is just always in this freaking lineup. I understand that he's left handed, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, but I don't I don't really care if you're if if you're batting what 158, then I don't really care what side of the the plate you're hitting from. And he's taken his walks. But as these but even that it does, it's not going to affect your OPS. And, you know, it's lead off hitter thing to do is get on base, do the walk thing like uh, Fowler did stuff. But I mean, I think it's got to come from like some of these uh, also rands. Yeah. I, I think at the moment that the two guys that look like they could use a little bit of rest and are Nick and Nico. And I, I don't really know or take as an, an interesting idea there too, but look for Jonathan VR to get a little bit more playing time. David Ross likes to keep the hot bat in the lineup. Uh, Easter Sunday, Beth Moen's on the call with JD. I just have to say her and JD are great together. Like, this is not a knock to Boog, who I also like a lot. I like listening to Boog talk about baseball and he's kind of geeky and like leans into some stuff about stats that I think is fun. But Beth Moen's just sounds so comfortable calling these Cubs games and she has the exact right balance of I'm low key and I'm calling a baseball game, but there's a home run and now I'm excited about it and you are too. Yeah. I, I like her much better than Boog, and I'll just go out there and say that. I, I actually find the marquee broadcasts pretty unwatchable uh, for myself, and I'm friends with a lot of people that work there, and I, I wish them well. I mean, I think it's cool that the Cubs have their own network. I, I, I think that's a neat thing that they could show documentaries and stuff, but the split screens, the constant bantering about this, that, and the other thing, I could I could care less. So I've been putting on Pat Hughes almost exclusively and have and it's ahead of the the screen, so but, but that's fine. Like I'm just like, well, I'm gonna know what's happening from Pat, and then I'm gonna put it on. But Beth Moens would make me make my me change my mind about it. She's that good, and she's I really do good. enjoy I enjoy her voice. It's perfect for like kind of. She's a little golfy, like she's a little like understated, which I enjoy. Because it's partly what I like about a baseball broadcast. If I'm if I'm laying there, I like going to the game. That's exciting to me. I like doing stuff and I have the radio on. But if I'm watching a game and I'm laying on the couch, I'm kind of hoping that I can take a nap at some point during the <laughs> game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, about the fifth, start to doze off, maybe wake up at, at the seventh inning stretch kind of thing. Get yourself a little, you know, 45 minute cat nap in, in the middle of the afternoon. I love that. And I can't sleep to Boog's voice. I can sleep to Beth. And it's, but it's not in a bad way. She doesn't bore me. She's just good. Her banter with JD's not forced. The, there's not, it doesn't seem like there's a constant barrage of just like stupid information that you're constantly sharing with me. It's just an easy call. And I felt like J, uh, JD was more comfortable with her like i think he so was yeah easier. he was more chill it just had a different vibe and i enjoyed it not just for it just put me in a better place i was watching it with my mom and and like we were both she's like who's this i really like her Aww. she she made that uh, uh, uh she made that acknowledgement my mother did during while we were uh watching it because um and i was like oh i'm gonna make sure i i bring that up 
if it if it comes up later on the one of one of the shows. So, um, no, I love her. I I think she should have the job. To be honest, you know it's wild. Um, when Beth came on the podcast, uh, when she first joined the Cubs, we're really grateful to have her on. Honestly, I was fangirling just a tiny bit because huge, huge <laughs> fan <were. laughs> over here. I can't help it. Um, but Beth Moen's uh mentioned that her and JD share like they're both from upstate New York they're both about the same age that she thought that banter with him would be pretty easy because they just share some cultural reference points and they share you know how you feel when you know the same places and you came from the same stuff and um, I think that you hear that in the way that they banter let's talk about the game itself though yeah Drew Smiley looks pretty good honestly you can't ask for much more than what Smiley has given you in these first couple of starts Michael Givens, on the other hand, despite this uh, save that he got in the first game of the series, looked really shaky in the eighth. And I have to say, the fact that David Ross did not go get him and let him finish off that inning with the bases loaded and him not locating strikes at all tells me a lot about the fact that David Ross does not trust anyone else out in that bullpen. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's going to shift. I think it's going to be partly who's available and how they're feeling and also who the hot hand is because they don't. We talked about it just in the the roster itself. It's not like they went out and got some high end closer like they did, uh, you know, when they got Kimbrel before, or or even Chapman back in the day. But um, or even Morrow, even though that didn't work out. But there's no names right at the back, at, or even in the, there's no names in the bullpen. Like <laughs> David Robertson was a name. He's trying to build back from to something. So we're gonna see. Uh, Givens is the same way. It's like, um, it's great arm, but I think it's, these guys are hit and miss day to day. And it's, I think David Ross does a hell of a job managing the pen. Um, it's been good, but you're right. He was shaky on uh Sunday. Yeah, so nice to see the Cubs come out of Colorado with two. You hope that they can keep it up and maybe win. Uh, two out of three against the Rays and another two out of three against the Pirates at Wrigley Field if these games ever get started and it decides to become actual spring here in Wrigleyville. Before we head to uh, talking about that Tampa Bay series, let's talk about some news from around the league. Mike Trout was hit on the hand. That was pretty scary, but the x-rays were negative. So yay, Mike Trout is still healthy at this moment in time. Byron Buxton, on the other hand, is not. He slid into second base and hurt his knee visibly frustrated. Here's hoping that Byron Buxton uh, gets good news, just like Mike Trout did. I like the I like baseball better when all of the guys who are making it fun are healthy and playing. Really scary mo- moment when Joey Votto got hit in the helmet. And Danny, I don't know if you saw this, but did you see Joey Votto like captioning his own getting hit in the head and jawing back and forth? <laughs> Yeah, I did. That was, that was pretty funny. But it's nice that he had a sense of humor about it, and I don't think he's hurt. No, he's not. Thank and, God. Yeah, because he's one of my favorite players that's, that's on a division rival. Because it, it's hard to like division rivals players, but he's so likable. He really is. And I, I just have to say, if you are on social media and you're not following Joseph Daniel Vado as friend of the show, Ken Schultz calls him, like, what are you even doing? Like, you've got to go get on that. Because, <laughs> frankly... He's been kind of on fire on social media lately, and and I love Joey Votto. Yeah, he's dancing. He's dressing like he's going he's to Hogwarts. Like a, you know, that, what was that? Oh, I don't even know, man. He's doing like some dance. Like I, that one confused me. I was like, is that Joey Votto dressed as a schoolgirl? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Like this guy. I mean, yeah. Follow Joey Votto. <laughs> <laughs> 
in addition, uh, we would be remiss if we did not note that we, uh, on the 15th of April, it was the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson integrating the major leagues. Okay, I'm just going to say a couple things here because I think the league did a better job with this than they've done in many, many years. Like if you watched MLB Central, they, they renamed um, one of the cross streets at 42nd in New York jackie robinson way like it was just a very cool ceremony and in particular what i thought they did nice um they brought in jackie's family they brought in a lot of black players and former players ken griffey jr was there cc sabathia was there talking about why what um wearing the number 42 meant to them mariano rivera was there like they, they had some really good conversations around all of this and they did a nice job of centering the voices of black players which i thought was great i will also say uh, that Shakia Taylor, friend of the show who has been on here a couple of times, had a really excellent piece in Baseball Prospectus talking about why we should do this differently. <laughs> that, like, instead of always celebrating Jackie Robinson and just focusing on the one moment that baseball, frankly, like, that has a lot of ugliness associated with it, and that baseball, yes, kind of got right, but also, like, we don't talk about all the bad stuff. Every single team should do a better job of celebrating their own people in their history who integrated the Cubs or who integrated the White Sox or who integrated the Red Sox and why those players are important. And along those lines, I just want to say and renew calls that we've had on the show before. We need to retire Buck O'Neill's number. It is far, 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 far past time. And I think there's a lot that the Cubs could do to celebrate the legacy of Buck O'Neill and the players that he brought over to really integrate the cuts. Danny, what were your thoughts on Jackie Robinson? Day? Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice that they, that I guess it's all recognized of course. And, uh, it, and everybody wearing 42 and all the kind of pomp and circumstance of it, but you know, you kind of want to see it's a lot of it's lip service, you know, and it, and I kind of want to see more action. We did, uh, for John Baker Day in 2020, which you were a part of, we interviewed uh, the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick. We also had uh, a, an interview with uh, Doug Glanville, uh, who now works for Marquee Network, which he shared a lot of his thoughts about uh, the intersection of race and sports and life. And uh, and and they were amazing conversations that we had. And that's, and um, especially man, Bob Kendrick, if you've never been to the Negro league baseball museum or gotten a chance to talk to Bob, it's a small museum, but it's, it's such a deep history and it celebrates those players. And it's just, you know, there's so much to know. And now that the Negro leagues is a major league, uh, according to baseball reference. And I actually went to a seminar learning about how they found all those stats. And it's fascinating. Then you learn about the Chicago defender and you learn about the different black newspapers, uh, that, uh, existed and followed these games and these heroes and these stars. Um, the, the story does not end with Jackie Robinson. And I think that's the thing to remember. There is a whole amazing history of black baseball in this country and some of the best players ever to put on uniform that, yeah, I think that we could go further with how we celebrate this and, and also to remember the terrible things that happened and how much more work we have to do. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we, that it's going to be difficult to package into a, one day at a ballpark, but they, they can and should do more because we do, you know, I, I did more. (laughs) So why can't the Cubs like do something very similar, uh, simple, like retire number 53. Yeah. I think that is absolutely correct. 
Um, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. On the flip side, we have everything you need to know about the Tampa Bay Rays, who are already in Chicago because they were playing the White Sox, but will be headed to the north side of Chicago to play the Cubs, theoretically, assuming the weather lets them. Uh, but before that, a quick word for our sponsors. All right, we are back. Danny, the Tampa Bay Rays are hanging out in this terrible, absolutely awful, ugly, drizzly weather. I They must miss Florida. If I were them, I would miss Florida. Uh, <laughs> what, do we, what are you thinking? What are your overview thoughts of the Rays-Cubs series that is theoretically supposed to happen in 30-degree weather starting Monday night at Wrigley Field? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, we never see the Rays. Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to care at, at some of these like midweek, early April interleague series. Um, it's, it's nice to be able, I mean, the thing I was excited about is because I don't get to see the Rays. Oh yeah. I get to go see a Rays game, but you know, the Rays, they're not, they're kind of an average team this year. It seems, I don't think they're going to do much in the, in the East. They might, you never know with the, with them, but I don't know. They're kind of like the, the Cubs. They're a little, they're a little worse than the Cubs, but they'll, you know, we'll see some young pitchers, uh, that we, that I, we never get a chance to see. In fact, like until I looked, uh, when I looked up the, the matchups for this week, I, I think drew Rasmussen is pitching in game three. I think he's the only one I had heard of before this. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, I'm not going to know their players and, and cause they're in, I don't watch a lot of AL baseball. I know you probably do cause you're a Red Sox fan and stuff, but you know, uh, I'm, I am excited that uh, Kyle Hendricks is back at home because Hendricks at home, home Hendricks is a lot better than road Hendricks. And I think that should be considered in how he's used in this rotation. Yeah. Just let's, in general. let's talk about this Monday night matchup that could theoretically happen. I do think that if the game does get postponed on Monday, I don't think this is turning into some like July a uh, random day game. I think that this is Tampa Bay does not come back to Chicago. They've already been to Chicago to play the White Sox. So I think that they'll probably try to do a double header in 40 degree weather at some point. And it'll just Tomorrow. be, yeah, it's just going to, they're just going to try to cram these games in. And that could be sort of gross given what the weather is doing. Uh, the first matchup is Kyle Hendricks and Shane McClanahan. I have heard of Shane McClanahan. I actually, part of the reason I was so excited to get tickets to this Monday game and I'm sitting like, under the grandstand, because, you know, I, it's April in Chicago, and I know better than to go sit out in the open where it can rain on me. But um, under the grandstand, I, I'm sitting behind home plate because McClanahan is one of those pitchers I want a closer look at. He is quite the electric guy, uh, definitely one of the best young pitchers in Major League Baseball. McClanahan is 24 years old. He came up last season. He did get starts in the postseason. Um they didn't go very well, but you know, he's got some postseason experience at 24 years old, which is always an interesting thing to see. It looks like he's one and well, he's got one loss on the season, didn't qualify for the win in his first start. A lot of these race pitchers, by the way, currently uh the Cubs are facing McClanahan, TBD, and Rasmussen. A lot of these race pitchers, if they go five innings, like that is a miracle. The Rays are very averse at putting any of their pitchers out third time through the order, but certainly they're young guys. McClanahan, for example, has thrown 4.1 innings and 4.2 innings. He strikes out a lot of guys, uh, eight strikeouts and a loss to Oakland, seven strikeouts uh, in a no decision against Baltimore. But do not look for these guys to be in the game in the sixth, seventh inning. You're going to you're gonna get like four and two-thirds of one guy, five innings maybe, 
of another guy, and then they're going to the bullpen. Yeah, and the bullpen has logged more innings than any other team. I did happen to see that, too, uh, which makes sense, given what you just just said. Uh, the other thing is uh, Shane McClanahan, and I'm always interested in seeing this, too. He's a lefty, and I, I always think that's cool for some reason, probably just because I'm a right-hander. But uh, the ball does different things. Uh, out of, uh, And I think the Cubs, maybe because we don't have a lot of lefty hitters, uh, lefty pop, maybe facing lefties is good for the Cubs. I, we're going to see. I mean, the Cubs have had a really interesting approach this season so far at the plate. They very much are hitting to contact, not a lot of strikeouts, which I'm curious to see how that'll play with a strikeout pitcher like McClanahan on the mound. Cause I mean, he struck out eight and one, seven, another. I mean, that's a lot, 15 strikeouts in like under nine innings of, or like nine exact innings of work is, is a lot yeah. of strikeouts <laughs> that yeah. that is uh, the old Cubs would have probably struck out like 27 times <laughs> against this 20, guy, but somehow 28, they but now we, managed an extra strikeout, <laughs> but now we have Nick Madrigal. So that doesn't happen anymore. I, I I'm only, I'm only slightly, joking there uh game two of this series will be tbd for the rays which i imagine means that they're going to piece together a bullpen game maybe do some sort of opener type of deal um and justin Steele for the cubs we already talked about justin Steele, danny but what do you what are you thinking of a bullpen game from the rays yeah i mean that's how they've logged the most innings in the major leagues uh, out of their bullpen is doing stuff like that so uh uh, they've they're uh, right in the middle of the pack ERA wise anyway as far as their bullpen goes I don't I don't know I mean they might be able to piece together a game which which you know, oh uh, two innings of this guy three innings of this guy and and it might work out for him we've seen that from our own team with Justin Steele on the mound so in many respects I consider that a Justin Steele game is almost like a bullpen game for the Cubs because they're not letting him go more well maybe he gets into the fifth that's like if he can if he gets five that's all gravy for, for us. But I don't think we're going to see Justin Steele go like any longer um, than that. I thought maybe a guy named Josh Fleming, another lefty pitcher, might go for the Rays, and I looked him up. And, um, it, you know, it's they got all the same guys that we got. It's like sink, sinker with 92 and a, a slider at 86. You know, it's just like they're they're – they're tricking you. It's got it. They're ground ball pitchers. You know, they're pitch to contact guys. They do it with uh, defense if they can. And except for the first guy who, who will strike you out. Yeah. I mean, this, these could be some low scoring affairs at Wrigley field, particularly with the weather, the way that it is and the pitchers who will be on the mound. Um, I think that the matchup that I am, I, I am interested in this Stroman Rasmussen matchup uh, that's going Theoretically, on Wednesday, Stroman and Rasmussen are very similar pitchers in the fact that they're both uh, ground ball type of guys, not a ton of strikeouts there. And if the wind is blowing in and it's cold at Wrigley, which it looks like it will be, this could just be a low scoring affair for them. And, I, you know, I kind of like the Cubs chances in, in a game of small ball, particularly with the way they've been making contact to all fields lately. They've been getting out ahead to early leads. I think that that could play to the Cubs advantage against this young team from Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the weather will definitely be a factor. It's supposed to rain on Wednesday, too. So it's just going to be miserable until Thursday. And they're going to try to play all three of these games somehow. And only the hardiest of the Cub fans like you and me will be there. Dude, I've already got like my layers laid out in the off chance that the Cubs think they're going to actually try to play this game tonight. Um, Let's talk about who is hot 
on the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, like Danny was saying, lots of batters here and lots of pitchers here that we don't generally get to see. There's some really interesting, young, talented guys on the Tampa Bay Rays. And, and, and a guy who uh, is hot at the moment, who the Cubs sent to the Rays and Harold Ramirez, which I think is kind of interesting, never played a game for the Cubs, but already got traded to the Rays with our crowded outfield. Uh, the best four hitters that Tampa is bringing in. And again, I like to anybody who's got a WRC plus over 120 and this at the start of the season is going to make this list for me. That's kind of how I do hot or not at this point in time. G-Man Choi is on fire at the moment across 31 plate appearances. He's slashing 455, 613, 864. That 613 is his on-base percentage. Uh, he is his on-base percentage plus slugging is like well over uh, 1400, which is absurd as WRC plus is currently 324. Wander Franco, who, God, I love Wander Franco. Can't wait to see this kid play. Wander Franco slashing 381, 386, 548 with WRC plus over 178 uh, ac- across 41 plate appearances. And then Manuel Margot and Brandon Lau both are also swinging a hot bat. Brandon Lau uh, not hitting for average at the moment. He's got a 211 batting average, but Still a WRC plus of 122 because he's hit three home runs already this season, which is interesting. And he's walking at an 11.4% clip. So probably getting on base and scoring runs, even though he hasn't been exactly making contact with the ball. Danny, anything else you're looking for from these Tampa Bay Rays hitters? Well, G-Man Choi has also walked a ton. He's a ton. Walked, a ton. Nine times. Um, 29% walk rate on the young season yeah so and he's only struck out seven times when you walk more than you strike out (laughs) you've got something going on and hey maybe that's the move maybe that's what the Cubs should be doing just don't pitch to him um if he's if he's that hot or you got to think of it this way everybody's going to come back down to earth eventually it's the guy like Randy Arozarena that you got to worry about because his 579 OPS is gonna is gonna straighten out and he'll come in and get hot just like we saw with the guys that were cold on the Cubs going into Colorado. All of a sudden, Patrick Wisdom remembered how to play baseball, and um, you know maybe G Man Choi comes in and gets cooled off by the by the Wrigley cold. Yeah, we'll see. Although he's been playing in he's been playing in the South Side cold for the whole week and it didn't do a lot to to cool him off. But, but who knows? Maybe True. maybe it's colder on the north side by just two degrees or so. I I don't know. It, it could happen. Well, you're closer to the lake. So I think that's actually <laughs> true that that might actually be the case. Also, true. Sox Park, you're kind of blocked from the wind. Because, that is true. That is definitely know. true. Yeah. So I think I think it is true. And it and they might freeze their butts. I mean, sometimes I'm freezing my butt off. I live a little bit closer to the lake than Wrigley Field is too, just by like two blocks. But it makes a difference. Sometimes I'll go out on my porch and whoosh, then I'll get blown over. And then I go down to Wrigley and I'm overdressed. Yeah, the weather in this little area of Chicago truly can be wild. Um, For the Cubs, we'll shock no one that Seiya Suzuki and his eight-game hitting streak are leading the way offensively for the team. He is currently slashing 400, 543, 960. Danny, I have to admit that the other night, and I totally understand why this is delusional and that like I, I sound like the biggest Homer fan ever. But the other night, I found myself wondering, what if Seiya Suzuki really can hit 400? Like, is that a thing that could happen with this kid? Because frankly, 
the hit tool just looks so incredibly good. And speaking of guys who walk and strike out the same percent of the time, like say a Suzuki has walk and struck out the exact same percent of the time, which makes me cranky about the strikeout. He took on a called strike. That was not a strike that should have been a walk. Cause frankly, you should have more walks than strikeouts right now. I'll get off my say a Suzuki. No, he should. And uh, he also, one of the balls that he swung at, that wasn't a strike. He hit for a single. <laughs> I saw some stat about that. Um, well, you know, our friend uh, infield fly girl on Twitter, uh, she was she watched him last year with Hiroshima because she kind uh, of covers that. She she loves uh, she's up all night. She watches all the, the baseball in Taiwan and stuff and else in Japan. And she's like, he put up video game numbers last year. And he was like, you know, I mean, so this is no fluke in his 26 in 2021, uh, you know. Uh, OPS over a thousand. He had a OBP of four thirty three. Now he hit three seventeen, so it's I, I think four hundred might be a little bit <laughs> lofty, but but I think you could see this guy win the batting championship. Win. I mean, if he can keep doing what he's doing, obviously it's only been two weeks. Keep winning. Uh, he can win the batting championship. He could maybe win the MVP if he keeps even yeah. close to what he's doing and Rookie of the Year. Yeah, has there ever been somebody who's been both the Rookie of the Year and the MVP in the same year? I, I don't know. We might have to look that one up I'm just for say right Suzuki. Now. While Danny is looking that up, I'm going to give you a couple of more hot cubs to keep your eye on. Jonathan Villar, who we already talked about, red hot at Coors Field. Uh, he is currently slashing 474, 500, 579. Look for him to get some more playing time. Both Wilson Contreras and Yan Gomes hot. That's why you saw Wilson Contreras DHing and Yan Gomes catching in that finale game. And, and frankly, I like this move for the Cubs because Wilson Contreras is one of those hitters that does not seem to mind DHing as opposed to playing the field all the time. He's got excellent numbers as a DH. Uh, Contreras has currently got his slash line up to 286, 375, 607, WRC plus of 172. Jan Gomes is at 385, 385, 538, WRC plus of 158. And then Danny, these last two, I really need your thoughts on the last one. Ian Happ is currently slashing 346, 433, 423 with a WRC plus of 148. And Jason Hayward, ladies and gentlemen, yes, <laughs> that Jason Hayward has a WRC plus of 139. He is currently slashing 333, 400, 444. I got so excited about these numbers over the weekend that I went to look them up looking for anything in Jason Hayward's profile, a high fly ball rate, a high hard hit rate anything that would indicate that he has done something different. And I found none of it. I think this is all bad of luck, which makes me really sad, but I would yeah. be happy to be proven wrong by Jason Hayward. I, I made a joke on Twitter about it. I'm like, Ooh, Jason Hayward in his Atlanta, in his uh, vintage Atlanta Braves form, <laughs> just cause it's like, this is, yeah, maybe the guy you thought would put up numbers like this when they signed him originally, but that's that's unfortunate to hear. Yeah, the eyeball test doesn't really work for this one, did it? He's, he's you know, he's hitting a couple balls hard, and he's, he's he does have a triple uh, that he smacked into the corner. But yeah, it's um, but yeah, it's mostly singles and you know squibbers and just managing managing it. He's he's managing to get on. Let's just like managing. that's the best I can <laughs> that's the best I can say about it. Um, he doesn't have any home runs. 
Oh, so, I don't think the yeah, this is this is not a power team period. Like the yeah. only home runs on this lineup right now, Wilson Contreras has two, Say Suzuki has four. Say Suzuki also has eleven RBIs. This is ridiculous. Uh and then you got Frank Schwindel with one and Nico Horner with one. This is not a power hitting team. This is very much a contact team, and I think we need to gear ourselves up for doubles, not home runs. <laughs> And the other thing about about Hap that you want to talk because he has a good start to the year, which we're all scared of because now he's going to disappear for two months. But um, <laughs> I, his biggest fan, Ian Hap's biggest fan, and I think they're buds too now, is our is our friend Michael Cerami, who who writes over at Bleacher Nation. Like they, he loves Ian Hap. He's got a stupid Ian Hap fathead that he used to bring into NBC Sports and like dance around with. The kid is hilarious, right? He loves Ian Hap. So every time I start thinking about Ian Happ, I always write my idea to Michael Cerami. And I, I asked him, I'm like, you know what? The one thing that nobody ever says about Ian Happ is that, you know, how they're like, extend Wilson, extend Bryant, extend Rizzo, all this stuff. Nobody ever says extend Happ. Nobody. Even though he shows up like real big sometimes. And then, well, it's the disappearing is why nobody wants him. And I said, I asked him, would you extend Ian Happ? And he's like, to be honest, I have no idea how to value Ian Happ right now. And this is his biggest fan. He's like, he's so hot and cold. I'm reading his text. Obviously, good start. So if he keeps hitting as a righty, I think he'd be worth a nice extension. Nothing crazy, though. But I also know it hasn't been brought up. So, um, yeah, because it's not it's not brought up by anybody. Like fans, That's wild. The Cubs, Ian Happ, like nobody cares what about and how how many more years do we even have him? He's a first round pick. What's the? I, I I'm pretty I, sure he. I think more. this might be the last. No, I think we have two more years of Ian Happ. Let me double check because Ian Happ came up in 2017. Yeah, yeah. So he he's a free agent in 2024. So so you still have two more years of him. I yeah, I'm kind of with Sarami here. I gotta say, I I sort of am of the opinion that if Ian Happ stays hot like this for maybe one more month. And somebody out there wants to trade you a pitching prospect or like somebody else to come for like a, a legit good prospect or two for Ian Happ. I would probably take that deal. And it's not because I dislike Ian Happ. It's because I know that the crash is coming and I feel like you got to cash out on Ian Happ. You yeah. can give those at bats to Clint Frazier and the Cubs will probably not be all that much worse for it. And then, you you know, you just look to the future when you've got Pete Crow Armstrong and Brennan Davis running around that outfield. And you just kind of like say, well, we tried with Mr. Happ and we got something great for him when he was good. Yeah, because that because then you could at least get something unlike the Almora situation right. or the Schwarber situation where you screwed it up and and you screwed it up. And why don't screw this up? The I, I don't know if there's a team out there stupid enough to, you know, believe in it because we don't believe in it. I want to believe in it. You know, it's just like, I don't know who would believe in it, but if somebody's dumb enough to believe in it, go right ahead. And who knows, maybe he continues it. We don't, we just never seen it. Well, we we've seen it, but we see it in like these two month stints. And the problem is that it's always followed by a two month stint where he's just awful. And so it's kind of like, I don't know if somebody would believe in it. Here's my thing with the unhap though. And here's why I, here's my argument for why somebody should believe in it. And what I would do if you could get the kid to stop switch hitting, I actually think just maintaining one swing would make him a better overall player. I think you could Cedric Mullins that. And, and I do like that the K percentage is down this year. Like he's only striking out 26.7% of the time. That is 
that is significantly different than the 29.2% of the time that he struck out in 2021. That is one of those numbers that stabilizes quickly. So it's something that I think there could be some real improvement there from Mr. Happ. I, I do think that there's still hope here, right? Like Kyle Schwarber left the Cubs and became Barry Bonds without the steroids. Like it's a thing that you could actually do. I just, I don't know that the Cubs can do it. And if they can't make Happ a consistent, you know, MVP Happ guy, then I don't know that I want to extend him either. I think that that's, that's trade bait and Clint Frazier is your left fielder. Yeah, and, and I don't know if Clint Frazier is kind of the same thing as Ian Happ, who's a guy who's a first-round pick that isn't necessarily panning out like you thought he might have because of, well, for Frazier, I guess it's been injury. Um, but for Happ, there really isn't much excuse to it. Um, it's just, it's weird. <laughs> it's what it is because it's like, oh, my God, this guy's he'll hit 400 for a month pound a bunch of home runs out and then literally bat 75, <laughs> you know? And you're like, what happened? Are you no pun okay? intended? Yeah, I know. What happened? Yeah. Oh my God. Obvious shirt. Somebody tell Joe that we need a, what happened shirt. Uh, I can't. mean, you, that could read as a good thing or a bad thing. Like it's perfect for Ian Happ. Um, if Ian Happ stays hot at Wrigley Field, you know that you will hear about it here on Cup of Cubby Blue while we're previewing the Pirates coming into town at the end of the week. In the meantime, Danny, where can people find you and what you're watching for with the Cubs this week? Well, uh, you can follow me at Sonranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O, or Sonranto Show, uh, and it's on all the social media areas, or Danny Rocket with two Ts, you can find me there. And uh, tonight, if this game does happen, we're going to be, me and our friend Crawley, and maybe I can convince Sarah to come up and do it with us, we're going to be trying to do live play-by-play on an app called ColorCast. So we're going to see how this goes. I don't know when you're going to get this, but Monday night, sitting in the cold, calling the game with Crawley and maybe Sarah. So. Um, you know, so if, if you get this in time, check that out. Follow Sunranto's show on there. Might be fun. Yeah, I, I might join y'all for a little bit of that. I'm actually honestly trying to decide if I'm going to – I think I'm going to wear my Boston City Connect jersey to the game tonight. And I generally have a rule that you should not wear the jersey of a team that is not playing in the game, yada, yada, to the game. Like, I think that's a whole thing. But it's also – Marathon Monday and the City Connect jerseys for Boston are a riff on the marathon. So I might make an exception to that rule for that. If I do wear my City Connect jersey, uh, you will see it on my accounts at BCB underscore Sarah on Twitter and Instagram. If Danny and I do some calling of the game with our pal Crawley in the freezing cold at Wrigley on Monday (laughs) night, you will see us link to it on the podcast account at Cup of Cubby Blue. We will be back in the middle of the week, letting you know what happened in this race series and previewing the pirate series. But until next time, find us on social media 